Does everybody so far have a book? Everybody got a book? Natalie needed one. I got the double book. Well, for this class. Is one needed? Is one needed? No, no, I'm just trying to make sure. Because there's no extras in here, but we do have some in the lobby. Yes. Let's go ahead and get started a little I'm early, sorry. if you're okay, because, uh, that no, that's what happened to the parable of the virgins, so I got slain. I didn't watch it, I should have watched it. I would have dangled the oil in front of it. Alright, let's go ahead and get started, because there's a lot going on in this lesson that I want to have time to deal with tonight. We are Matthew 5, we're still in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's going to be lesson 7, lesson number 7 in your book. As you turn there and get settled in there, <coughs> want to ask a question, don't answer out loud, but just think about it, okay? You don't have to answer out loud. Do you ever, you ever get angry? <coughs> Do you ever get angry? I get angry, you get angry quite often, you probably do as well. You know, for some of you, you may get angry when somebody is driving recklessly on the interstate. Maybe they're driving too slow. Maybe they're cutting in front of you, cutting in front of you in traffic. You get angry at politicians every now and then. <laughs> I'm just looking on Facebook today. It seems like a lot of people are really angry about some speech that was made last night. Wonder what that was about. You get angry at your sports team. You get angry when your basketball team, your football team is not doing the kind of stuff you want them to do in the game because you feel like you're the expert. You know all the plays better than the coaches do. You ever get angry at your spouse? You ever get angry at your kids? What about brethren? You ever got angry at other Christians before? If you ever found yourself getting angry about that kind of stuff, then I want you to know that you are in the right place tonight. We have reached a point in Jesus' sermon where he's going to deal with this kind of stuff. We're now at a point in this sermon where the greatest preacher who ever preached the greatest sermon is going to deal with some practical things, some practical matters in which his people are to be different. He's going to talk about things that we need to be different in in regards to the world and more specifically in regards to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In this lesson, we're going to study some things that Jesus has to say about how we do that verse, what that means, how do we live that verse out in a very practical, in a very practical way. Before we do that tonight, Brother Andy, would you mind leading us in a word of prayer, please? Would you mind, sir? Sure. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time to give you thanks for the many blessings that you pour over us every single day of our lives. We thank you for the food that you have given us today, for the health, the sufficient uh, will and energy to, to be here, Father, as uh, a group of your children ready to learn more about your word and as we open up our Bibles to 
learn about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and what He has to say about how we can be better disciples of yours, we ask you to let us open our hearts and our minds so that we may capture all that is taught and we may leave this place edified, growing continually as you ask us to do and, and grow closer to you to ultimately be with you in heaven on that final day. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Billy Andy. Okay, so before we dive into the new section tonight, we need to kind of just stop and, and figure out where we are. We've taken a journey together, and let's just make sure we're all on the same page on this journey. So let's just do a little quick recap, really fast. In the first 12 verses, in the first 12 verses of this text, Jesus describes hearts. He describes the kind of heart we need to have as disciples. Right now, in this first quarter of the year, Brother Brad and I are preaching sermons about the heart, plowing the field of the heart. Well, Jesus preached about that first 2,000 years ago. He talks about the kind of qualities we need to have in our hearts as disciples. In the next few verses, in verses 13 through 16, Jesus then talks about how when we develop those kind of qualities in our hearts, we're going to impact the world. We're going to impact the world in a very powerful way. We're going to be salt. We're going to be light. And then, last time, we focused on a verse that really defines and sets the, lays the foundation for what this sermon is really all about. In fact, beginning with verse number 21 of this chapter, we're going to find Jesus getting very, very practical as to what he means by verse number 20. Again, verse number 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of of heaven. I submit that everything else in this sermon, or at least much of it, much of everything else you find in this sermon is pointing back to this verse. You've got to know this verse. Everything pretty much Jesus is going to say from here on will be pointing back to this verse. Jesus will explain to us in a very practical way what it means to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's going to contrast to us what they taught and how they live with how he expects us to live. That's what he's going to do here from here on. And so, beginning with verse number 21, Jesus will identify, remember this number, beginning with verse 21, he's going to identify six, six key areas where the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys who thought they had it all figured out, these guys who thought they were so righteous and so holy, these guys who the people really looked up to and they thought they were the model of what a child, should God, a child of God should be. Beginning with verse 21, Jesus will identify six ways in which these Pharisees and these scribes had it wrong and we need to get it right. We need to be better than these guys because these guys were not righteous really at all. The six things he talks about include First, anger, then adultery, then divorce, oath-keeping, revenge, and your enemies. Anger, adultery, divorce, oath-keeping, revenge, and your enemies. With each of these issues, Jesus will use a repetitive device to teach us how to develop a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The repetitive device that he uses is, you have heard, it was what? 
You've heard that it was said. That's the repetitive device he's going to use. That is, when he says you've heard it was said, he's saying this. He's saying that you've heard it taught this way by the scribes and the Pharisees. You heard them teach it this way, but I'm going to teach you the truth. I'm going to teach you the true will of God. I know the law better than anyone else because I created it and I made it. And so let's start with verse number 21. You ready with verse number 21 there? It says, you have heard that the ancients were told. Now when the, when the, when the scripture says they're the ancients, in fact some of your translations may use a different language there. Mine says ancient. Some of yours have, say what? Give me some other things that are said there. Okay. You've heard that it's said of old. When Jesus used that language there, He's not talking about the law of God. He's talking about what the rabbis taught. Those are the ancients. Those are the ones of old. You heard the rabbis teach it this way. Remember we made a point last time how at this time history tells us um, that the Jews were quoting the rabbis more than they were quoting Scripture. And so they knew a lot of what Rabbi so-and-so taught. They held rabbis like Gamaliel in high esteem. And when Jesus says, you heard the ancients say it this way, somebody, you heard the rabbis teach this. You heard the scribes and the Pharisees teach it this way. You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, first be reconciled to your brother. And then come present your offering. Now, remember when the Bible, what the Bible says about how Jesus taught. Jesus taught as one who had... Uh, you, this is a great example of that. Because what people often did, even the scribes and Pharisees, is they wouldn't teach as one who had authority. They would quote other rabbis. Another rabbi said this. Jesus didn't teach that way. Jesus didn't go around saying, hey, rabbi so-and-so said this. No, Jesus said, I'm telling you. He taught as one who had authority. Do you see that there? And so as we begin breaking this down, let's start with this phrase you've heard that it was said. This is not an attack of the law. Do not take it that way. He is not attacking the law he created here. Instead, he is attacking how the scribes and the Pharisees interpreted the law and the traditions they put on the law. That's what Jesus is attacking there. The ancients there, the rabbis, they had it wrong when it came to so many different things. They had it wrong when it came to things like even murder. You know, according to what the rabbis taught, they said that only murder was worthy of punishment. And we would agree murder's wrong. So they're right about that, but in their minds, that was it. As long as you didn't murder someone, you would get mad at someone, but as long as you didn't strangle them to death and kill them, or hire somebody to kill them, hey, you were good. As long as you don't murder someone. That's what they said. But Jesus says, no, no. No, that's not the standard. They're wrong about that. Yes, murder is wrong. But not only is murder wrong, but the anger that leads to it. That's also wrong. The insults, the bitterness, the jealousy, all that stuff 
that boils in someone's heart, the wrath, the dissension, all that stuff that leads to the murder, okay? That's wrong too. That's wrong. In verse 22, Jesus says that in addition to not murdering your brother, He doesn't even want you to be angry with your brother. Don't be angry with your brother. You see that? That's a high standard. Don't insult your brother. Do some of your translations in verse 22 use the word raka? Anybody got a translation that used the word raka yes. in verse number 22? Would you mind reading that, Nicole, verse 22 from your translation, please? Is that the old King James? What, what do you use? It's the new King James. Okay, new King James. Would you read the new King James there? Yes. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But who, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Very good. Thank you, Nicole. So, Nicole, the, the New King James, and I believe even the Old King James, used the word Raka there. That word Raka is a difficult word to translate. Even the experts, the people who have a ton of PhDs when it comes to this kind of stuff, they struggle with this word. It is a difficult word to translate in the English language. You know why it's a difficult word to, tr to translate? Because it is a word that describes a tone of voice. It describes a tone of voice. It describes a tone of voice, raka, that is immersed with contempt towards someone. That's the idea. It is to call someone essentially a brainless idiot, an imbecile. If you got the English Standard Version, the word insult is the insult someone. My translation, New American Standard, translates it by calling somebody a good for nothing. That's the idea. A brainless imbecile. It is insulting someone at a very high level and doing it with a very bad tone. A tone of contempt and, contempt and hatred. Jesus says, not only it's not only murder is wrong, but that kind of attitude is wrong. Insulting someone in that way is wrong. And not only is that wrong, but here's something even worse than that. The next part. Call somebody a fool. Now, don't take this word fool like we think of it in 21st century Western culture. In our culture, calling someone a fool is not really a big deal. Sometimes people even play like that. But in Jesus' day, it took on a totally different idea. In Jesus' day, calling somebody a fool, especially among the Jews, was a really big deal. It was a huge insult. When you call somebody a fool among the Jews in Jesus' day, you were insulting or criticizing their spirituality. You were criticizing their spirituality. You know what you were calling somebody when you called them a fool in Jesus' day? You were calling them an atheist. You were calling them an atheist. You don't believe in God. You're just like the Gentiles. Psalm 14, verse 1. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart what? There is no God. That's how the Jews took the word fool. It was like the worst thing you could call somebody because nearly all the Jews, in fact, all the Jews probably at least believed in God because why? They were God's children. They're God's people. God has worked His great miracles among them. And so, when you call somebody a fool, you're calling them an atheist. 
You're saying you're just such a low person. You're just like a Gentile who's involved in paganism. You're an atheist. You're a fool. Jesus says that's wrong. It's wrong to insult people. It's wrong to call people names. Jesus is setting a high bar. Do you see that? This is a high bar. And let's just be honest, because now we're going to get to some questions. I want you to go to question two and three in your book. We don't, we don't really like this, I don't think. I mean, I think sometimes, if we're being honest about it, we kind of have a standard like the Pharisees sometimes, where, hey, you know, we get up, uh, before we go to bed at night, we say, hey, I did pretty good today. I didn't kill my boss. I didn't kill my co-worker. I didn't kill my spouse. So I think I did pretty good as a Christian. If that's our standard, Jesus says, no, that's not going to cut it. Not enough not to just get a gun and, sh and, and kill someone that, that makes you mad not to do that. But Jesus says that anger that you have towards that person, it needs to go. That, that if you insulted someone, you sinned, you've done wrong. Jesus says this, that's not good either. But so often we like to justify our anger. You know, you get angry at somebody, and how often have we told ourselves stories? We like to justify our anger. Can somebody give me an example, maybe something you put in your book there, of ways that maybe you or you've heard somebody else try to justify anger towards someone else? Yes, Nicole? That they started it. Oh, they started it. They did it first. And that was, that's what my little daughter says. You know, she'll tell on her brother, and oh, he did it first. So often we sound like little kids, don't we? But that's how we justify it. Oh, I'm, I'm right in having this feeling in me. I'm right without, without letting the, about not letting this go. I'm right in even how I reacted to that in a sinful way because they did it first. That's a good one. What's something else? What's some other ways we try to justify, you know, anger and insults? towards other people. Yes, Kimberly. It's not the first time they've done it. Oh, that's, yes, that's a good one. It's not the first time they've done it. You know, they should they should know better. They do this over and over again. I, I see that one a lot. I see that one a lot on social media when I see Christians going at it on different things. That That's a really good one. That's good. Yes, Mike, and then Peggy. The, the other part of it is they haven't apologized. I, I'm so righteous that they... They hadn't said they were sorry. They didn't say they were sorry. They supposed to make the first move. That's right. Uh, and so often we'll even go to Matthew 18 and say, well, Jesus said, you, you know, go. they're supposed to come to me. Uh, and But they forget about this one. Uh, but you're right. That, that's another one, Mike. You know, they need, to, they need to say they're sorry. They need to make the first move. And really, I have so much pride. I can hold out. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to hold ignore them as much as I can until they break down. Because they need me in their life. That's how we think so often, right? <laughs> Go ahead, Peggy. You have one, ma'am. It's kind of similar. It's, it's, they have the problem. It's not my problem. It's never our problem, is it? I never do anything wrong. It's always somebody else. Uh, I, was, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've dealt with conflicts in my own family, between family members. And, and you know, my family, a lot of my family members have so much pride. You know, they'll be going at it on things, and every both parties think they're the right ones. Nobody's wrong. <laughs> really, when you look at this from the outside, both parties are wrong about something. Ain't that how it goes? Uh, but, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good one. Anybody else have one? Yes, Don. There's a, there's a sequence in through here of what he's got going. You're looking at, at an attitude toward people <clears throat> resulting in an action. And you see that through the scriptures as Jesus is teaching, and just cut it short to the to the Pharisee 
and the tax collector. Here's the Pharisee. I got knowledge. He's empty-headed. Yes. I know what to do. He doesn't have a clue. Mm -hmm. I am a loved by God. He's hated by God and me. That's Luke chapter 18. Yes. That is a great example of the attitude that Jesus is talking about here. Uh, this self-righteous attitude, which is what we talked about Sunday. The bottom line is all of y'all gave great examples here. All these excuses you came up with that you wrote down, no matter what we come up with, it's not justified. That's the point. None of it is, is justified. God doesn't look at any of the excuses we have and go, oh man, I didn't think of that. That's a good one. Man. <laughs> you know, you're right about that. You know, we'll just throw what Jesus says here out of the Bible for you. And that's not how it works. Jesus says all this kind of stuff we allow to fester in us and, and create bitterness and hostility and leads to insults. It's all wrong. And so we got to cut anger off early. we gotta, we got to cut this stuff off early. That's the point. You know, we, we know in the Bible that anger can lead to terrible sins. It can lead to murder. A lot of people right now are in prison for a very long time. Some on death row. You know, I come from Texas where that's death row capital right there. And a lot of people are sitting on death row right now. My aunt is a nurse on death row. And she tells me about how all the guys she's encounters in there who are there because uh, they did something dumb when they were angry. They killed somebody. And we can find it in the Bible. What's the famous or infamous example of someone being angry and leads them to murder? It's very early. Cain and Abel. That's obvious. But what's some other sins? What are some other sins that can result from this kind of anger that Jesus is talking about? Yes, yes, Andy. Oh, man. And so, <laughs> that's another one we try to justify. Oh, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. If I'm not gossiping, I'm telling the truth. Uh, that is one. A lot of times when people gossip, oft, it's often the case. They're trying to ruin someone's reputation because they're angry with them. They want to bring them down. That is a good one. What's, what's anybody else got another one? Retaliation. Oh, yes. Retaliation. Retribution. Getting even. And it doesn't have to be murder. Uh, it, could be, it could be saying something ugly to them, writing something ugly about them on social media, uh, lying to them, uh, about them, to some other people, retaliation, absolutely. Did anybody else say something over here? I was going to say lying. Yes, yes. So we got lying, we got gossip. Bitterness. 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 Janelle. Um, not, it can lead to sin, but it just takes our focus away from where it should be. Wonderful. Which would then lead to sin. I actually wrote that down. I want to say something about that point because... That's going to your worship there. That's going to your worship. Yes, yes, ma'am, Sharon. In the to James' point about retaliation, yes. a lot of times it comes it it's not something we will say, Well, I haven't said anything or I haven't done anything, but it's in a changed attitude, a changed nature towards other people where we're meant to be that light and we're meant to be the salt and we're meant to teach by example. And if we're angry at somebody, we can shut down in our light from them. Shut down completely. Act very differently, act colder, mm -hmm. act ugly. Uh, oh, yes. And and I've been guilty of that many times in my life. And a lot of that goes back to pride also. We want to we stick it to someone. 
And that's an inch. It's it's interesting you, you say that. Uh, my mom's from Texas, and we heard that expression. Don't be ugly to each other. Yes. And, yes. And it's so funny because she'll still say it. She'll say, you know, so and so, you know, oh, you know, so and so is being ugly to. You know, that's how we ugly. talk. I thought y'all talked that way too, but right. I guess not. Well, and yeah. It's an interesting way how you can describe it because there there is true beauty in good actions. Yes. And when you think of it, if you try to change it, and you add a sort of a different adjective that you wouldn't normally ascribe to that specific behavior. Yes. yes. It makes it a lot more black and white. Yes. Where we have a tendency to want to hide things in the gray. And I think the gray area is where a lot of goodness goes to die. And it's the lukewarm area. That is very that's very rich there. In fact, I want to go to Ephesians four to carry on your thought and, and the rest of your thoughts. Um, because Paul here, we we, we gotta and we want to kind of deal with this text because this can be a little confusing when we consider what Jesus did in his ministry because he got angry at times. But Jesus' anger is different than what we're talking about here. So we need to make that point. But remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and yet do not sin. So is it a sin to be angry? No. No, not when you put this together. See, Paul here is, is really backing up how Jesus lived in his ministry. Jesus got angry at times, but his anger didn't lead him to sin. So what are some, some sins that can result from anger? Well, Paul's going to deal with it here. Um, he talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger. You know, settle the matter. That backs up what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Anger gives the devil a clear path into your life. A, a clear avenue into your heart. We saw it with Cain and Abel, right? And then look at verse number 29. You know, he talks about unwholesome words proceeding from your mouth, cursing someone out, telling someone off. That, that, that comes from, that can result from anger. Uh, verse 31 bitterness, bitterness, wrath. Then he talks about anger and slammer and clamor. Clamor. Uh, he, he said, put all that stuff away from you and put this on instead. The kindness, the tenderheartedness, and the forgiveness that can come into your life when you realize what God has done for you first. You see that? So there are all kinds of sins that can come into our lives as a result of anger. What Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, let me just make this simple as I can. As simple as I can. What Jesus is doing here is he's trying to cut sin off early. Do you see that? He's trying to cut things off early. And we're going to see that as we keep moving forward. You know, so often people have avoided doing horrible and terrible things. Insults and killing people and hurting people. They can avoid that stuff if they dealt with the inside first. That's the point the Lord is making. Does that make sense? Cut this off early. Nicole and then Joan after that. If I can share this real quick. This yes. actually is something that happened today. Uh oh <laughs> so, <laughs> lost your job today? No. I'm no. <laughs> I got mad at my brother today. Okay. So he kind of had an attitude with me about something. And I'm quick to get, I'll, I'll like light up quick. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to show him. I'm just not going to talk to him. He won't know it, but I'm putting him on a timeout. And then I had to say, because the Lord's really been dealing with me about getting it done, cutting it off quick. Yes. So I sat down and I said, you know, Lord, I want you to forgive me for being angry with him. This has nothing to do with me. It's something that he's working, whatever's going on with him. Right. 
So let me stop trying to be nosy and figure out what's going on with him. But right. just let me, I, I asked him to forgive me. I asked him to help me not be bitter, not be vengeful, because old me loved to get vengeance. Yeah. Um, not to get vengeful. And I started praising him for what he has done for me. Wonderful. How he has forgiven me. And I had to just be in prayer for a little bit of time. And I think it's probably most of the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, no, because, because then Satan would say something and I'd be yeah. like, yeah. And then as soon as I, I didn't realize it, it yeah. I was down a slippery slope. Yeah. And then I, again, I'm like, Lord, I see that you're trying to teach me to, to cap it early instead of giving him place. Yes. So this is exactly what I had to deal with today. Now this, and I like that idea of what you said about praying about it. You know, if you, if you, you know, sometimes when we get angry, you should take, take, take a time out. Get away. Go find you somewhere to go and pray about it. And pray very specific to God. God, get this bitterness out of my heart. Get this wrath out. Help me focus on how good you've been to me and how in your anger you could have punished me forever. But you forgave me. We need to do that. I like that. That's very practical. And, and I think what you did there helped you as a Christian. It'll help us all. I like that. Uh, Joan, and then Sharon, then I'm going to get moving here. I got just a few minutes. Go ahead. So, fans of the Andy Griffith Show, they know about this. It's called Nip It in the Bud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nip it in the Bud. And, and when our kids were little, I know somebody might have thought that this was kind of strict, but I did it. Our kids were not allowed to call each other stupid mm -hmm. or dummy or nothing. We're that the same was way. wrong. Right. That was wrong because just like Jesus says here, just something that simple can lead to those harsh feelings. So you, that's, that's a way that we nipped it in the bud. We taught them, no, you don't, you don't even say those things. What you're, that's worse. What you're saying there, teaching, teaching, you have, see, we have to teach this to our kids early. And so often people wind up making bad decisions in their anger because they were not taught this early. So what you taught your kids and what we try to teach our kids, God's teaching us that here. He taught it first. That's right. Deal with it early. Stay away from the insults and those things because it's going to take you down that slippery slope, a path that uh, that you don't want to go down. That's excellent. Sharon, and then I'm going to say a few final things here and give y'all the last few minutes. Go ahead, yes, ma'am. Talking about getting rid of anger, um, it reminds me of that verse, or the, the song, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. Mm -hmm. And quite a few years ago, I had this friend that was, we were friends, fast friends in middle school and high school, had a big falling out, and she was a member of the church, and I was very angry with her because she just sort of dumped me as a friend with my family, and I had done so much work. And I was very, very angry about it. And I was telling one of my other friends in the church, and I said, I'm just so angry with her. And she's hurt me so deeply. And she said, Sharon, you know, when, when that happens, ask God to take that anger from you. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about it like that, of saying, please take this anger from me because it's too heavy for me to carry. And it's, it put it in God's hands yes. because it's not heavy for him. And he, he can do that. Absolutely, just, King. Just take, it's too much for me. I can't deal with it. I know it's going to be too much for me, and I'm going to sin from it, so take it out of my heart. And you know what? God can do that providentially in so many different ways. He can send you somebody to vent to. All of a sudden, you find yourself reading a scripture that you just need in the right moment. There's just so many different paths that God can do to help us deal with these internal problems. And I think so often we put God in a box. We think, well, since miracles have ceased, then God can't really do anything for me. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. What you're saying there is a righteous prayer. And it's a prayer, like you said, it needs to be done. If we prayed that prayer more often, 
maybe we, we wouldn't fall into the trap so often. So let me just say a few final things here, and I'll give y'all the last few minutes, okay? Verses 23 and 24. So we, we have the idea of what Jesus is saying here. The bottom line is, deal with this early. Stay away from the insults and the bitterness and those things in your heart. Because if you don't, in verses 23 and 24, he says it can negatively impact your worship. And that goes to what Janelle said. Janelle hit that right on the head. And Janelle hit it with a good word that I wrote down to Janelle. Distract. How often have you found yourself maybe sitting in a worship assembly and you're supposed to be thinking about the songs, and thinking about the Lord's Supper, listening to the preaching, but you're just thinking about somebody you're mad at the whole time. Maybe you can even see them on the other side of the building and you just not focused on God at all. You're totally distracted and you know what you've really done? Is you've offered God vain worship. Because Jesus said God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. You may have gone through the right motions, but your heart wasn't in it, so it was just a waste of time. It really was. And that came from the fact that the devil was able to distract you with anger and bitterness. And so what's the solution? Well, Jesus tells us the solution in these verses, 23 and 24. That's about reconciliation. And that's hard because that takes humility. Especially in this case. Jesus says if you want to avoid vain worship, and that's what he means here when he talks about taking your offering to the altar, that's the idea of worship. There, Let's make it very simple. If you want to avoid offering God vain worship due to anger, get up and go work it out with your brother. Work it out even if they're in the wrong. Go to them first. If they hurt your feelings, if they say something you don't like, if they slighted you in some way, get up and go work it out. Go work it out with your brother before you go worship God. That's what Jesus is saying. Before you go worship God, you work it out with your brother if you got anger in your heart towards your brother. Strip yourself of pride. Go work it out with your brother. Get it right with your family member. And then you go back and you worship God then. You're, then you go back and give God focus in your worship because it's cleared up. It's all good. And now you can worship God and concentrate like you're supposed to do. Jesus is saying here that when you've got a problem with your brother, even if you're the innocent party, or if you think you're the innocent party, go get it right. Get rid of this mindset. They're supposed to come to me first. No, Jesus said, you go first. <clears throat> you talk about it, and how they respond to that, that ain't on you. Who's that on? That's on them. You can't make them want to work it out with you, but you're supposed to at least try. And when you do that, then Jesus says, come back, and you give your worship to God. So, so here's some final applications, and you, you have the last couple of minutes. Four applications I want to give you. Four applications. We need to avoid being like the Pharisees on this. The Pharisees taught, hey, as long as you don't kill somebody, you're good. Well, they got half of it right. Don't murder anybody. Don't murder anyone. But also, don't have anger and hatred towards someone either. That's just as wrong. Get the anger towards your brother or your sister. If you have it out of your heart, stay away from the insults. Stay away from the gossip. Stay away from those things the devil can use to take you to that next step. That's what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees missed that. That, that was their righteousness, and it was wrong. Secondly, focus on the inside first. You know, so often we just focus on the outside. As long as I'm doing the right stuff, I'm good. No, Jesus, have we learned anything so far? Jesus wants our hearts. He wants your heart first. 
if you're doing all the right stuff and your heart is not with God, then we're still not going to make it. We're not going to make it. Jesus wants the heart first. If the heart is right first, then guess what's going to naturally follow? The actions. So focus on the inside first. Remember, Jesus told that to the scribes and Pharisees. Clean the inside of, of the cup. And then, because all they focused on was the outside. They just cared about what people thought. No, the inside needs to be worked on first. Thirdly, and I've said this, I'm going to emphasize it again. Initiate reconciliation. Look, I don't know anybody's personal business, um, anything you may talk with to our shepherds about, that's between you and our shepherds. And that's a wonderful thing. Nothing wrong with going to the shepherds, but as the preacher, you know, I preach, I teach, I, don't, I know what's going on in my house, I don't know what's going on in your house. So if you have something going on with a brother or sister, you need to go work that out. I don't know if you do. I don't know. I'm just a preacher. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But I do know that Jesus says if you got something going on in your heart with somebody, go work it out. Because if you don't, you're not right with God. Not right with God, I'm sorry. You got something in your heart that's not right. And Jesus says not enough just to go home and say, well, I didn't kill him today. No, get you, you, got, you got anger in your heart towards your brother. And then finally, strive to, strive to strike the balance. You got to strike the balance. So I want to be clear. We're not saying it's a sin to be angry about certain things. Jesus got angry about things. What did Jesus get angry about? Sin. <laughs> he cleansed the temple because they were practicing sin in it. So we need to be angry at all the unrighteousness going on in our culture and society, but we need to avoid being angry with each other as a spiritual family. We need to avoid that. We need to work out our problems, and if we're in harmony with each other, well then we're going to be able to be that light and that salt, like y'all were saying, to shine in the world, you were saying too. So, that's all I have. Those are my applications. Ryan, I'll give y'all the last few minutes. Go right ahead. So, when Nicole was reading her version of chapter uh, verse 22. Yes, sir. First, the New King James says, be angry, or do not be angry without cause. And I think that sounds so much better than the New American Standard Version. Yes. Because it gives... What translation is that, by the way? Is that New King James? That was her New King oh, James. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mine just says, you know... Oh, you have New American Standard. Yeah, and okay. mine doesn't say that at all, so I actually wrote that in yes. because that sounds so much better. No, I like because, that, too. There because is an asterisk there, though, so I don't... Not all manuscripts, ancient manuscripts have that wording in there. But that does provide some clarity. But because, I mean, you can see Christ, he was angry, and he had the cause. That strikes the balance. Right, right. Exactly. That's, that's why that probably is the way it really originally was intended to be taught yeah. by Jesus. Yeah. Is the fact we're talking about angry with your brother without cause, without going and talking about it and working it out. Right. Because if that's not the case, then what does Jesus, Jesus and Paul appear to be contradicting each other? We know that we know they're not doing that. So that's a good point, uh, John, and then, and then Don. So this is something that I I always thought about, and Jesus said to his apostles, "I say to you not to forgive each other seven times." Seven times seventy, and honestly, it was only within the last ten years that I actually got—maybe the last five years—that I actually considered who in my life would I have to forgive that much? What about a husband? Because you get angry with him. Don't talk to Janice about that. Because you're waiting for seventy times seven. I'll tell you that. Yes. You have to. Absolutely. And that's and that's and that's not easy because in that context the apostle said, "Lord, increase our faith." 
You need a lot of faith to forgive somebody that much. And the apostles understood. That's why he said, in that context, Lord, increase our faith. Man, that's a, that's a lot of forgiveness. <laughs> Brother Don, go right ahead, sir. When, when you go back to the Old Testament, Numbers, I believe, and you look at Aaron and, and uh, Miriam mm -hmm. approaching Moses, they were angry because they considered themselves to be prophets and they didn't get the credit. God snapped that one real quick by pointing out the advantages that they have, get rid of their thoughts and intents, yes. and go on your way. And that, you know, that's an example in the Old Testament that this, the Pharisees should have learned from. Yes. You take care of it, you get rid of the cause, yes. and everybody's happy. Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful point. Sharon, close us off. I'll close it out here. With the forgiving of seven and times seven? It's just easier to forgive than count and do that math. It's yep. just easier to forgive them. And that's, what, that's the whole point you said. said, don't, don't go to math class. Yeah. Just forgive. That's the point. All right, let's stop there. So on Sunday, we're going to continue with the text. Uh, and I, I think we've laid our foundation. Then a week from today, Rick is going to take over, and he'll have several classes, okay? Thank you all so much.